We exalt you, Lord, and we magnify you. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Hallelujah. Thank you, singers. What a powerful song. Amen. How many of you are glad you know the name of Jesus? There's no other name under heaven. Amen. What a great joy to see all of you this morning. And amen. I told the church on Wednesday night, amen, I've never remember in my past ever being so happy to see everybody. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And to be home. Amen. We saw incredible things. We saw over 3,700 people receive the Holy Ghost in our travels to Africa. We were in Madagascar and Malawi and Zambia and South Africa and we saw uh, 64 people healed of blindness. 27 people healed of deafness. Pastor whose hand was mangled from a, a botched surgery, totally healed and stretched forth like the withered hand in the Bible. How many of you know the Lord is still doing it just like he did in the Bible days? Amen. But you know, there are so many things that you miss when you're not, uh, when you're not at home. You miss things like being able to drink water and not have to worry about whether or not you're going to get a parasite or whether or not you're going to get malaria from a mosquito or the internet, all this infrastructure stuff that we have in America that we just sort of take for granted. When you don't have it, you really miss it. Amen. But we are so just overjoyed that God kept his hand upon uh, myself, my wife, our children as we were in and out of different environments. Uh, we were in uh, Zambia, Malawi, and Madagascar, three of the... Um, uh, in the top 10 poorest countries in the world. So we were in a, in a lot of areas where there's uh, still hostilities and, and there's a lot of things that are uncertain. You have to watch your kids, watch your stuff. You have to be careful of everything around you. But God was good to us through it all. Nobody got sick. Nobody died. We didn't lose anything. Amen. And then to hear what great services you had in Palm Bay. Hallelujah. We tried to watch what we could on the internet, but the internet is very sketchy and we couldn't always see, but we heard enough and of course our great staff. I want to say how much I appreciate brother and sister Richie and Bishop and Dr. Myers and amen. What a great staff we have at First Pentecostal Church. Amen. I told some of our new families uh, that we met with this morning uh, coming out of our Connect class, I said, I'm partial, but I believe we have the best church in all of North America. Amen. And I'm sure others may not agree with me, but I said, I know we at least have the best staff of any church that I know of. Amen. What a great team of people and uh, just kingdom minded, you know, no egos. It's just, hey, we're all about the work of God and we've just got a great church. It's such an awesome thing. There's not many pastors that could be gone for a month and the church just continued to thrive. And it's because of your faithfulness and your commitment and you're understanding that our vision is beyond these four walls. But it goes into what we can do in our community and what we can do around the world. And everyone having that same vision, working together as a family of believers, is just uh, such a powerful thing. And we are so appreciative. Amen. I turn your attention this morning to the book of Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. Amen. The book of Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and to him said the Lord in a vision Ananias 
And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Now, that, just that verse right there lets you know that he must have talked to him before. He recognized the voice of God. Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, <laughs> the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. How many of you are thankful that somebody prayed for you? Even when everybody else said they are a lost cause. God put it on their heart to have a burden for you and for me. And we are all blessed. I want to talk to you this morning on this really very simple subject. One soul. One soul. The Bible said all heaven rejoices over one soul that comes to repentance. Why is that? We'll talk about it a little bit this morning. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, what a privileged people we are to come into your presence, to feel your love, your joy, your presence, and to know that you are here to do a great work. I thank you, Lord, because it is your presence that is the common denominator that has brought us all together today. And Lord, we come with one intention, one motive, and that is to exalt you and to lift up the name of Jesus. Now we pray, God, that you would touch hearts and minds to receive your word. Let us be touched, Lord, by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Good to see Amen, brother and sister Klingler. Amen. God bless you. I hadn't seen you guys in a few months as they've been in Alaska. Amen. The name Ananias is found just five times in the book of Acts. It is first recorded in Acts chapter 5 when the author describes a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira who made a donation to the church, but then they lied about it, and the Lord didn't take too kindly to this, so they were both smitten dead in the church service. So you got to be careful when you come to church, you know, you got to make sure you're coming uh, with an open heart and an open mind. So it's pretty safe to say that this was not the same Ananias that we then read about in Acts uh, chapter 9, who uh, God handpicks to be the one who goes and, and prays for Saul, whose name was changed to Paul. And then um, two other mentions of this name in the book of Acts, Ananias. We find it over in chapters uh, 23 and 24 of the book of Acts. And both times there it describes the high priest named Ananias. This was a man who was appointed by the Romans after they had taken possession of Judea. So this was certainly a different man. That only leaves one other place that the name Ananias is referred to in Scripture. And it's in Acts 23. And it's in that place that we realize that this is the same man that we read about in Acts 9. This one that the Lord said, I want you to go and pray for Saul. And I want him to receive his sight and receive the Holy Ghost. And we know that this is the same man because in Acts 23, 
Saul, whose name is now Paul, is witnessing and sharing his testimony of how he got saved, and he refers to this man named Ananias. And so this is the only time that we read about this man. Paul is describing his conversion to Christianity, and he, he tells about this man, Ananias, and he describes him as a devout man according to the law who had a good report among all the Jews. So we know that he was a faithful man. We know he was a good man, both in the narrative that we read in our text and in the description that Paul gives now when he tells of his conversion. But he's only mentioned in the Bible in relationship to him praying for Saul, whose name became Paul. And of course, Paul writing the majority of the New Testament, becoming this great apostle to the Gentiles. It's only in Ananias' relationship, which was just the Lord saying, go to the house of Judah. He lives down there on Straight Street and, and inquire of Saul of Tarsus. And he, he's seen in a vision how the, you're going to pray for him and he's going to receive the Holy Ghost. And so the only thing we know about Ananias is simply that he was the one who went to Saul. From everything else that we know, Ananias never wrote a book or preached a sermon. He never took a missionary trip or touched the hands of Christ, but he was a faithful man. He was faithful to the temple. He lived a good life. And as far as we know, he only won one person to the Lord, the Apostle Paul. But if you're only going to win one person to God, that's a good one to win to God, the Apostle Paul. But when you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, it only takes one soul, one soul to change the world. One soul working for the cause of Christ and countless souls are one to Christ. A nation is changed. A world is changed because of just one soul. His name was Ernie Cox and he lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was a humble man. He was quiet. He lived a very simple life. He never could really read or write very much due to a very limited education. But he was a consistent hard worker in the same factory there the outskirts of Cincinnati, Ohio, for some 30 years. He was faithful to his church. It was the apostolic church in Cincinnati that my friend Joel Urshan now pastors. But at that time, the pastor was a man that my father knew of, a man by the name of Brother Kurtz. This church was a very evangelistic church. They won a lot of people to the Lord. A, a young man by the name of Clifford Jones got saved there after getting out of the army, and he was quite a soul winner. He won dozens of people to the Lord and eventually pastored in Pompano Beach, Florida, and several families that are here today were saved in that church. And I preached his funeral a few years ago, and, and back in the 80s and 90s when I preached a lot down there, Brother Jones would tell me about those old days when he got saved in Brother Kurt's church there in Cincinnati, Ohio, and how that was an evangelistic church and soul winning was the main focus. He told me about a lot of young men that came out of that church and became preachers and pastors and and Brother Jones would tell me stories late at night over, you know, eating moons over my hammy at Denny's Restaurant at the corner of Commercial Boulevard and Federal in Fort Lauderdale. Some of you that are from down there know what I'm talking about. And he would tell me all these great stories, but, but Brother Jones never mentioned Ernie Cox to me. You see, Ernie never went on to be a preacher or a pastor. He was not a person with a lot of charisma. In fact, he often felt like he had not done very much for the Lord. He went to his job each day. He did his job each day and every day. And, and one day he struck up a conversation with a man who, who worked on the same assembly line. man's name was Denzel Richardson. They talked about what they were doing that weekend. And, and Ernie, he, 
He said he was going to church. In fact, Denzel Washington or Richardson just about had to drag it out of him. <laughs> he said, where, you, where church you go to? He said, I go to the First Apostolic Church. Denzel inquired about the church and what they believed. And Ernie told him about the plan of salvation, asked him if he had a Bible. And Denzel Richardson didn't have a Bible, so Ernie bought him one the next week and showed him Acts 2.38. Denzel thanked him and decided that he would come to church and check it out for himself. Well, he did, and he got saved, and he got the revelation of the oneness of God, got baptized in Jesus' name, and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. A few years after that, he felt the Lord was calling him to be a missionary. Not just a missionary, but a missionary overseas to the country of Madagascar. Is there anybody in Madagascar? Not anybody that we know of. Are there any apostolics or Pentecostals in Madagascar? Do you know anybody in Madagascar? No. Denzel Richardson had to convince the United Pentecostal Church Missions Board that he'd be a good missionary in Madagascar and he'd work hard and so he took his young family over there. They started having services and a few people that they had met came out and they found a little metal building about the size of a one-car garage and they invited people to come to church and they started teaching the Bible to the people that they met and they learned the language of Madagascar and soon the little church grew and they taught people to teach others and to share the gospel and people started to come and church started to go and Denzel taught his young son Jerry to love God and to love the truth and Jerry grew up and continued the work of his father he gave him vision taught him you know how to dream and how to multiply their efforts he taught him about how to give and that God would bless them he taught him about how to evangelize and to speak the word of faith he organized their efforts they started a bible school and Jerry and his wife Vicky they they started to see enormous growth in that country of Madagascar they talked to their son, you know, Chris, who was just a young man and said, you know, Chris, I believe God's put it on our family to be able to keep preaching the gospel here in Madagascar. And so Chris grew up there in the work in Madagascar. He grew up, he became a missionary to Madagascar when his father retired. And then he married a lady by the name of Paula, who was a missionary's daughter from the island of Mauritius, which is an island just off of Madagascar. And recently they, they hosted myself and my family as we ministered at their general conference in Madagascar. I'd like to show you some pictures of that if we have a few minutes this morning.
Wish I could just bundle all of you up together and, and go to that general conference every year because it's a life changer. In just a few days, we saw 2,371 people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the very first time. And that's not an estimate. That's cards being turned in with numbers and information and pastors, you know, filtering through that. And that's what we saw. We saw people being healed of blindness. And we saw a man being carried up who had not walked his entire life. And he was carried by three other people. But before that service was over, he was running around that building. Some 13 to 15,000 people who gather there, they, they, they don't, they're very, very poor. They, they work for about $30 a month. That's about what the average salary is. And they start saving as soon as this conference is over. They start saving for the next year. And they'll save their money all year long. And they'll come and spend one week there. And they live in tents and whatever it takes to get there. They said it's the equivalent of us spending about $7,000 to go and to spend a week at camp. But they'll do that. They'll sacrifice everything else to be there because they love God so much. And they give it everything that they have because Jesus Christ has changed their life. Oh, my. Well, Ernie's son grew up to become a minister and a pastor. And after Ernie retired from his job at the factory up there in Cincinnati, Ohio, he enjoyed mowing the grass and keeping the yard at his son's church in Milford, Ohio, because his son went on to be a pastor. A few years ago, he was talking to his son, and he said, son, do you think the Lord will take me to heaven with him? His son said, dad, you've been faithful to God all these years. His father said, while he's laying there in his 90s in that bed, only a few short days to live, he said, son, I don't feel like I've done enough for the Lord. I didn't win many people to the Lord. I should have done more. And his son rubbed the forehead of his 90-year-old father, and he said, Dad, you witnessed to Denzel Richardson. And he and his son and his grandson have won over 200,000 people to the Lord in the country of Madagascar. Brother Urshan, who talked with his father, he said, well, he said a big smile came over his face and he closed his eyes and he went to sleep. Just one soul. Just one soul. Ladies and gentlemen, if God can take a little boy's lunch and feed the masses, all God needs is just one soul to change the world. That crazy neighbor that gives you a hard time, that, that teacher at school, that person on your job that's tormenting you, you may not know who they are, where they're at, or what they're coming from, but all God needs is one Paul, hallelujah, that will change their course of direction and say, I've made up in my mind, I'm going to serve God. An entire country can be changed. Ananias had been faithful and and when the Lord tapped him on the shoulder and said, it's time for you to go down to the street called Straight and, and to ask for Saul of Tarsus, the thing that Ananias did that is so insightful is that he had a human reaction. He had a reaction like any of us would have. He said, um, God, are you sure? Saul's been threatening them. 
you know, in executing your people, I mean, we, we know it's Saul of Tarsus. We don't have a, an identity problem here. We're not, you know, mistaken from some other Saul. This is the one, the Saul of Tarsus, yeah. In fact, his exact words, the ones I read to you in our text, Lord, I've heard by many of this man. Isn't that something? That's how we go to God. God, I've got many, many testimonies. This is not just me. I've heard from a lot of people. As if a lot of people would somehow override the voice of God. Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. This is all Ananias saying, God, are you sure? Just like when some of you in this audience this morning, when the word came around your family and friends that you got saved, they said the same thing. Are you sure? It can't be. I know him. I know her. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody that's in this building today, we weren't born speaking in tongues. We weren't born saved. We found God. Hallelujah. He wasn't lost, but we found that there was a God that would love us in spite of our actions. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that the Lord didn't judge you but said, I can make something beautiful out of their life? When everybody else gave up on you, God said, they're my chosen, they're mine, I, I created them, I breathed into them the breath of life, and the Spirit of God's going to come upon them, and they're going to be a chosen vessel. That's what he told Ananias, I've chosen him. So don't judge the book by the cover. I'm paraphrasing. But I'll get back to Scripture so you understand I'm in the Bible. Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here, referring to Damascus, he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Isn't that something that we would do? We just keep looking for that one soul that's perfect. God, lead me to that one soul. They're going to be walking around with a Bible in their hand. They're going to be singing the songs of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what that one soul may look like? They may never have seen a Bible. That one soul may cuss you out when you first meet them. Hello, somebody. That one soul may not be anything like you're expecting, but if it's one soul, there's an old saying that one with God is a majority. Ananias would never have thought this guy, in fact, he felt like he needed to caution God. He felt like it was his responsibility as a just man, as a good man, as a faithful man. He, he felt like he should tell God this, this, are you sure? Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, that one soul that I believe God's going to lead you to before this year is over, they're not going to look like much. In fact, they'll probably be a troublemaker. You can count on it. They'll be the exact opposite of who you and I would have picked. Joseph Burr, who's my good friend, has been a missionary now in South America for almost 30 years. I think it was last year, maybe the year before, he and his wife were with us. And we just connected many years ago when we went down to Peru after the earthquake and we were helping to rebuild those churches and Brother Burr came over from Paraguay where he and his son are now missionaries and, and uh, we were working together and we just sort of connected. I, I asked Brother Burr recently, I said, Brother Burr, you, you've got a, 
incredible testimony. You ought to share it. He said, I'm going to write it down. He was saved up in Fort Walton Beach many years ago. And of course, that's where uh, Brother Tom Bush pastors. And we're very connected to that church at Fort Walton Beach. And uh, I said, you got you to share your testimony, Brother Burr, of, of what God's done in your life. And he sent it to me a couple of days ago by computer. And I read it. And when I read it, I cried. And I share a portion of it with you now. These are his words. I was arrested as a young teenager on the streets of Fort Walton Beach, Florida for selling marijuana and locked up in the Okaloosa County Jail until my mother could post bond and I could be released into her custody. The next night after being released, I went to a party with my friends. We gave three 13-year-old girls tabs of LSD. It blew their minds. It scared me so bad I began to pray and ask God that if he was real and if he would touch these girls and bring them back into their right minds, I promised that I would never do drugs or sell drugs again as long as I lived. I was only 15 years old, but until this day, I have always kept that promise to God. A few weeks later, a man in my neighborhood called Lloyd E. Cox. His nickname was Wally. He came to my house on a Saturday morning knocking on my door. I had talked to Wally a couple of times. He was always evangelizing and inviting people to church and trying to get kids to go to his Sunday school. He had this Volkswagen bus that he'd drive around and play music and clowns and give away candy. And I wanted nothing to do with Wally or his church. And that Saturday, if I had looked through the curtain and known that it was Wally, I would have never opened the door. But I didn't look first. I opened the door and there stood Wally. He started to tell me about the Holy Ghost and how God could change my life and how there was a seat on his VW bus that was reserved just for me. If I'd come with him the next Sunday morning, he'd pick me up and go to church. And He told me I'd never regret it. I talked to Wally for several minutes, but after a time, I, I grew tired of listening to him, so I cussed him out and I slammed the door in his face. Two days later, my younger brother and I got in a fight. I was 15 years old, he was 12, and my mother, for some crazy reason, had bought my brother a 12-gauge shotgun for Christmas. After a fierce fight, he went and got it and began to tell me that he was going to kill me. I just mocked him, calling him names and daring him to do it, and he finally told me to get out of the house then and there, or he's going to kill me on the spot. I went out the front door, and I continued to mock him, calling him every vile and evil word I could think of from about 15 feet away. This confrontation went on intensely for several minutes and concluded with my brother shooting me. Fortunately, he didn't shoot me in the head, he shot me in the leg. I fell to the ground and crawled to the door of the house, begging my brother to call an ambulance, which he did. I passed out and was roused when the ambulance arrived and the EMTs began to work on my leg. I heard them say, this kid's leg is blown to bits. I woke up in the emergency room with my mother screaming. They took me to surgery and for six hours they tried to save my leg. The next day after walking, waking up, the surgeon began to explain to me that He'd done everything he could do to save my leg, but, but he believed that I would never be able to walk on my leg normally again. After a week in the Fort Walton Beach, Florida hospital, I was moved down the road to Pensacola Baptist Hospital, where my treatment and care was taken over by the Shriners as we were very, very poor. At the Baptist hospital, I was a very bitter young man, full of hate and very depressed. Because of my mother's work schedule, my family was not able to make the 45-minute trip to visit me, which only deepened my depression. I was 15 years old and had been told I would probably never be able to walk normally again for the rest of my life. 
Besides sending me to sessions to try to heal my superficial wounds three times a day, I really had nothing else to do but look at the ceiling and listen to my rock music and spew my hatred and bitterness to anyone that would listen. Just before they moved me out of the Baptist hospital into the crippled children's home, the nurse who had been taking care of me brought me a Bible. I, I don't know what really came over me. I should have been thankful for her gift, but instead, all the bitterness and the hatred that I had for my situation and my condition came spewing out at her, and I threw her out of my room. As I arrived at the crippled children's home, I was going through a cardboard box that had all of my worldly possessions in it, and in the bottom of that box was that Bible the one that that nurse had tried to give me at the hospital. When I saw it, the Spirit of the Lord moved on me, and I began to have a desire to know more about the Word of God. I read about half the New Testament in around six weeks' time. When my superficial wounds began to heal, they, they put a cast on my leg, and I begged, I begged the doctor to allow me to go home, and he sent me home with the promise that a clinic would be calling me soon as they were having a brace made for my leg to see if I could begin to walk on my leg with crutches. When I arrived home and went through the door, I did not yet know the Lord, but I prayed in the way that I knew how to pray. And I said, Lord, if you're real, I believe you can heal me just like those people you healed in the New Testament. I hobbled in the kitchen with my cast and my crutches. I opened the kitchen drawer and I pulled out a butcher knife and I began to saw and cut the cast off my leg. I threw the cast in the garbage can and began to walk on my leg that very instant the clinic called a couple weeks ago to ask me to come in and see if they could fit and adjust the brace that they had made for my leg the day I walked into the clinic without my casting crutches the nurses had a fit they had my x-rays they tried to show me that I should not be walking on my leg as if it wasn't even healed I still did not know God but faith welled up in my heart and I told them I'm sorry, you are not God, and you cannot tell me what my God can do. And instead of walking out of that clinic with that brace strapped to my leg, I walked out of there carrying that brace on my shoulder. A few days later, walking downtown on a Saturday night in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, with some 10 of my friends, we came up on a street corner. There on that street corner were two men, one with a guitar playing gospel songs, and the other witnessing and passing out tracks. Paul Shepard and Edward Overstreet, who's a barber who's still in Brother Tom Bush's church even to this day in Fort Walton. They begin to talk about the Spirit of God and how it could completely change our lives. I begin to think, you know, I've tried drugs and I've tried alcohol and I still have this emptiness in my heart and in my life. Maybe, just maybe, this Holy Ghost coming into my life is really what I'm looking for. My friends and I wanted to check it out. So we went to church the next morning at the address that they'd given us the night before. We got to the church, and pastor was at the door, invited us in. He was very friendly. The church service had already started, and the saints were into the service worshiping. And honestly, I felt something and was experiencing something I had never felt before. And then I was stunned as I looked to the front of the church, and there on the platform of the church was that small, bald-headed man, that man named Wally. The man that had knocked on my door the very first time. He was there playing an accordion, worshiping God with all of his heart. While he came up to me after church and recognized me and hugged me and told me that he loved me and that he'd been praying for me. While he had been praying for me. And a month later, on a Wednesday night, I received the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name. 
Several years later, 1986 or 1987, I was on my first deputation after being appointed as a missionary to Paraguay in May of 1986. I and my family happened to be on a Sunday morning in Pastor Wilfred Carter's church in Panama City, Florida. After the service, a brother was there whom I had not seen for many years, Brother Ronald Ward. I did not know what happened to him. He had, we had both moved from there, and he didn't know what had happened to me. And Ronald had been there in that church in Fort Walton Beach that Sunday many years ago when my friends and I walked into that church. Ronald told me that he needed to apologize to me after all these years. And I said, what for? He said, because when we walked into the church, and he said, we saw you guys. He said, the thought that came up in my mind was this. How in the world can the pastor allow these filthy, nasty kids to walk into our church? But he said, after what God has done for you, I can never say that again as long as I live. Because God can do anything for anybody. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad the Lord looked past all of the things you were doing and said, there's a soul that I can save. Then Ronald Ward told me something. He said he doubted that I'd ever heard this before. He said, do you remember Wally? Do you remember he was the pastor's right-hand man and usually led singing and took up the prayer requests? Of course, I told him I had remembered who Wally was. He said, you probably never heard this, but Brother Wally would ask prayer almost every service. For this young man that had cussed him out and slammed the door in his face. He asked us to pray for you almost every service until you and your friends walked through the doors on that church that Sunday morning. On my second deputation in Oregon in 1992, Wally came to a deputation service where I was preaching. I asked him after church if this was all true, and he affirmed to me, that it was. We can never underestimate the power of prayer. It may have been a mother or a father or a grandparent or a neighbor or someone on the job, but ladies and gentlemen, none of us would have been saved without somebody calling our name out in prayer. Thousands of people have now been reached in the country of Paraguay, and now Joseph Burr's son is the missionary in Paraguay, and the revival continues because of a little bald-headed man named Wally. One soul. Just one soul. Ananias said, God, are you sure? He was human. He had his doubts. Then Ananias did something that I pray each of us are able to do. He said to God, Behold, I am here, Lord. Behold, I am here, Lord. Seems like five really insignificant words. Behold, I am here, Lord. My question to you this morning is, will you respond to the Lord the same way? Behold, I am here, Lord. After the Lord explained to Ananias that he was going to use Paul to reach the Gentiles and kings and, and even the house of Israel, Ananias, through obedience and the eyes of faith, 
greeted him as Brother Saul. <laughs> he may have still had his doubts in his mind. But if God said it, I believe it. And though I don't know how it's all going to work, Brother Saul, he said, why do you guys call each other brothers and sisters? There you have it. Ananias walked in there and said, Brother Saul, you can hear us saying the same thing around here. It don't mean we all come from the same family tree, but it means we all got the same bloodline. <laughs> it's the bloodline that came down from Calvary. We've been washed in the blood and sanctified by the Spirit. And regardless of the color of your skin or what nationality you are from or your socioeconomic background, if you've known Jesus Christ, you're my brother and you're my sister. If you know what it is to feel His power and His anointing and His forgiving love, you're my brother, you're my sister. You may not know the testimony of every person here today, but I've come to tell you this, that regardless of what you've done in your past, there's room in this church for you. I said there's room in this church for you. There's room in this altar for you. Because it's just one soul that God needs that can change a country, that can change a world. That can turn everything around. Just one soul. I know we live in a world today of masses and masses of people. and Technology has really in many ways dehumanized all of us. Reduced us to just a number. But ladies and gentlemen, you'll never be just a number to your creator and your redeemer. He designed you. Breathed into you the breath of life. And he's got a plan for you. He's got a destiny for you. There is a calling upon your life. You may feel like you're insignificant and that God doesn't even have your zip code. But I've come to tell you that God's got a special plan for you. All he needs is one soul. All he needs is one soul. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Lord, here we are. You've been so good to us. Lord, if it wasn't for you, many of us would not even be here today, if not all of us. We recognize our utter dependence upon you. You understand the frailty of our flesh. You understand the things that we fight on a daily basis. Oftentimes, we're our own worst enemy. But Lord, through it all, your love and your blessings and your spirit is reaching. And Lord, I don't know who this message is for, but if it's just one soul, it's worth it. If it's just one person, God, I pray that you would wrap your arms of love around them right now and let them know that your hand is upon their life. Lord, we beat ourselves up with the decisions we make, the wrong choices, the mess that we get ourselves into. I pray today, God, that somehow your spirit would permeate all of that and you would give us, Lord, the courage to once again come to this altar 
and to say, Lord, here I am. I need you. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I've done so much, I don't know that God would ever love me. You're not the first person to have those feelings. But I want you to know something this morning. There's nothing more powerful than the love of Jesus Christ. And I know that we've heard that Jesus loves you, but I, I felt this when I was in Madagascar and Brother Anthony Mangan preached one night on the coming of Jesus and we were riding on the bus back to the hotel after that. And I said, Brother Mangan, I feel like as ministers, there's two things that we have to keep saying. Jesus is coming and Jesus loves you. We can never get away from that. Jesus loves you. Jesus is coming. He said, you're absolutely right. We got to keep saying it. And so every time I have the great honor to stand before this congregation, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And I want to tell you that Jesus is coming soon. Thank you, Lord. I wonder if you would just step out from where you're standing right now, if you would make your way down to this altar, as Brother Tom has already come. And would you just say, Lord, here I come. I'm not going to try to figure all this out in advance. I'm just going to come to an altar, and I'm going to stand before you right now, and I'm going to ask you, Lord, to come into my heart. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to raise my voice and my, my spirit. I'm going to turn it over to the Lord right now. Would you come? All God needs is one person, just one soul. Just once. So many times we disqualify ourselves. But you don't realize that God can take who you are with all of your faults and your mistakes and your scars, your wounds. He can make something special. If you just come and say, God, I've tried to do it on my own, but I'm giving it all over to you right now. I want you to come down to this altar right now, and I wonder if you'd lift up your hands and would you first of all just ask God to forgive you of every sin. Lord, I believe your word that if I would just ask you, Lord, you would forgive me. Oh, that's beautiful. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Forgive me, Lord, of every sin. Cleanse me, Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, I've tried to do it. I thought I knew what I was doing, God, but I need your help. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I need a Savior. I need a Redeemer. Cleanse me, Lord, every thought, every action that I've taken, Lord, that violated your holy word. Cleanse my heart right now in the name of Jesus. Wash me, Lord, with your word. Wash me, Lord, with your blood. Yes, in the name of Jesus. can't get down to the front, maybe right where you're standing in your pew, would you lift your hands right now? 
Lord, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Aren't you thankful somebody prayed for you? Somebody kept praying even though you weren't always kind to them. You weren't always respectful, but they didn't give up on you. They kept praying. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Now, if you've repented of your sins, I wonder right now if you would lift up your hands and you would lift up your voice. And if you would just begin to say, Lord, I love you and I worship you, the Lord will fill you with his spirit right now. Would you just begin to say, God, I love you, Lord. I worship you, God. I want to be saved. I want to be saved, God. I'm asking your spirit to come down and take up residence in my life. Bible said that when you receive the Spirit of God, you'll begin to speak out in unknown words. Don't be afraid of that. Let that just come out. That's the evidence of God's Spirit inside of you. God bless you. If you're an altar worker, would you find someone to pray for right now? Come on, it's just one soul. You say it's just one soul. You don't know who's standing by you right now. You don't know who God's put you in contact with. Ira la la bosha ko para la bosila.